Hello and welcome to Angular Rocks, podcast for those who want to know more about Angular. I am Alexey Kuntsevich. Today we will be talking about Angular material, and I am very excited to introduce our special guest, Jeremy Elburn. Jeremy is one of the Angular leads at Google. Hello, Jeremy. Hello. Can you tell a bit more about yourself and what you do? Uh, yeah, so I am a Google and software engineer. I've been at Google for, it'll actually be nine years tomorrow, uh, is my nine-year anniversary. And I've been on the Angular team since 2015. So I've been working on Angular for over six years. And in that time, I have led the creation of Angular Material and Angular CDK, as well as doing a bunch of work on other various aspects of Angular, ranging from small parts of the framework to documentation to developing an Angular course and probably a bunch of other things I'm forgetting. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it seems like you're involved in a lot of things there. Can you tell a couple of words, why do we need component libraries like Angular Material? Well, the point of component libraries is to prevent duplicative work from multiple engineers. You don't need 50 different products all building a menu when you can have just one menu that works for everybody. In reality, you can't make one menu that works for everybody, but maybe you can get one menu that works for 60% of the cases. <laughs> That's a good point, right? Can you tell a little bit of history of Angular components and Angular material? Yeah. So going all the way back, the original AngularJS didn't have a component library for most of its lifetime. The team was very small at that time before I joined the Angular team. And the creation of components was left to other individuals. Over time, the demand for uh, first-party UI components kept increasing, and eventually the team created AngularJS material with a number of contributors towards the end of AngularJS's lifetime, really. And I joined the team in 2015, and around that time, AngularJS material, I think, was around version 0.8. <laughs> It wasn't uh, yet at its 1.0. And so when I first joined the team, my job was to basically get AngularJS material to a stable 1.0, get that launched, and then immediately turn around and start working on Angular material. Mm -hmm, right. And at the time, we were calling it, even ourselves, we were calling it Angular 2 because we didn't have a, a better name for it. And the GitHub repo... Uh, material 2 was just our, we did the most naive naming possible and we just stuck a 2 at the end of materials uh, so that it was distinct from the original. And over time, we broadened the scope of what we wanted to do and we eventually renamed the repo to Angular Components to better represent that it's not just material design components that we want to build, it is general purpose component library code and utilities and helpers and all that good stuff, particularly with the CDK. Uh, the CDK is something that I think is the most underrated part of Angular. Uh, provides a lot of useful stuff for building your own UI components. 
And we've also expanded the repo. We have a Google Maps component. We have a YouTube player component, which were built by some actually 20% contributors inside of Google. Uh, do you have any plans for more components like that? It's something we think about from time to time, but our backlog is pretty deep. I've considered doing a, um, a recatchba component, uh, since that's another Google technology. Mm-hmm. For a while, we were considering doing a Google Pay component, but then I think the Google Pay team actually beat us to it and made their own. <laughs> right. Um, and in terms of CDK and Angular Material, obviously there's a ton more stuff we'd like to build over time. Mm-hmm. I've always had this ambition too for wanting to build a data visualization library as well, but that is such a large undertaking and we have so much on our plate as it is that I don't see us getting to that anytime in the right. remotely near future. Yeah, it seems like it's quite a big project. <laughs> Angular Material is kind of implementation of Google Material Design. So there is a clear separation between these two. Yeah, so there is a separate organization inside of Google called Material Design. Uh, My organization, uh, the organization in which Angular resides, is Google's Web Infrastructure Group. Uh, Now, that's web infrastructure is a little bit of an ambiguous term because... You could say Chrome is web infrastructure, or you could say the people who are actually laying fiber optic cables are web infrastructure. But I, what I'm talking about is web frameworks and other tools or utilities or frameworks that people use for building web experiences. And so our org inside of Google is Angular. Uh, the SaaS team is in that org. So the SaaS team is a sister team of Angular. The Closure compiler team, the Closure library team, uh, Google's TypeScript team for dealing with the TypeScript language inside of Google. Uh, we're all in the same org for building web right. products. And the Material Design org is actually a completely separate org from us that consists of both engineering and design. And they produce both the design specification and a suite of UI component primitives for building material design components, in particular for web, they have a library called MDC Web. And that's something that we are working on incorporating into Angular Material right now. Mm-hmm. Yes, that would be my next question. I wonder how hard it is to keep up Angular Material with the latest Google Material specification. Yeah, so it's been a challenge over the years, actually. The material design team inside of Google has a lot of stakeholders, right? All of Google basically wants stuff from them of like, hey, you know, I need advice on my app and this app and this product. And so their bandwidth for partnering with other teams is very limited. And so for the first several years of Angular Materials existence, it was difficult to be able to get bandwidth from them to collaborate on things. And we basically just consumed the specification, the public specification that anyone can see and did our best to keep up with it. But dealing with changes to the design system is tricky because we had a hard time knowing when things changed. And there were some aspects of the spec that 
are difficult to update over time because of the way Google's internal monorepository works that even if we do see that the spec has changed and it would be a very easy change on the code side to change it, doing so would break a large number of apps inside of Google because it would change their layout or something like that. And so it makes it difficult for us to make those kinds of changes. And over time, we decided to switch over to trying to incorporate MDC Web as the one of the building blocks that we are building on so that we are consuming the canonical material design primitives from the source, so to speak. And we should always be getting the most up-to-date, consistent material design experience by consuming that. And it really just ends up with more engineering effort going into the components from all sides because we get the benefit of the work that the engineers in the material design organization are doing and the work that we're doing on the Angular team to have better components. The big trade-off here, obviously, is that it is a relatively large undertaking to make this change in the first place because we care very much about making sure our components are as backwards compatible as possible. And to that goal, we are making our MDC versions of the components almost 100% API backwards compatible so that you can just swap out your import statement and all of the APIs are the same and you'll get the updated DOM structure and the styles, but all of your code and all of your unit tests should continue to work. Oh, so that's cool. And basically, when the new uh, version of Angular Material will be released, there shouldn't be any problems to migrating, right? So the code should stay the same, right? Your mm -hmm. template code mm -hmm. will stay the same. Your TypeScript mm -hmm. code will stay the same. If you are depending on the internal implementation mm -hmm. details of the components, right. Right. that might get a little hairy. If you're depending on certain CSS classes to be mm -hmm. there or certain mm -hmm. DOM structures to mm -hmm. be there, those things are inherently mm -hmm. brittle. And mm -hmm. if you're depending on that, that could be a problem. Mm -hmm. But if you are using our component test harnesses, that helps normalize over this because we have harnesses for both the existing components and the MDC-based components that have the same API and so as long as you're using the harnesses, it should work the same on either way. And of course, because we when we change the components, their actual appearance and their styles will change, you will want to do a pass through your application and make sure everything still looks the way you expect. In some cases, the components behave in ways that need a little extra accommodation. So for example, one of the more noteworthy changes in the MDC-based components is that Controls like checkbox and slide toggle have much more space around them in order to satisfy touch target requirements for accessibility, right? So for accessibility, you want your touch targets to be at least 48 by 48 pixels. And our existing components are much smaller than that. So in switching over to the MDC version, those components will get larger in your application and it may require you to tweak your layouts a bit, but the end result is hopefully more accessible. And it also has the benefit of the new components have a density API. So in the case that you do want to reduce the size of those, there is a supported API for doing that. Once you migrate to the latest Angular material, which have this new implementation using MDC web, speaking about bundle size, uh, will it decrease bundle size? Will it 
it stays the same? So it should stay about the same. We've mm -hmm. done some exploration on this. And for the most part, the JavaScript size looks to be about exactly the same, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's not a big enough difference to really notice. The one thing we have seen is that the CSS size is a little bit bigger. Mm -hmm. And we have been working with the MDC team to try to cut that down. We've made some improvements uh, over the last year that have cut it down. And they're also working on some updates to their SaaS APIs that are going to improve it even further. So by the time we move the components into our stable package, hopefully the sizes should be on par, on par across the board. Oh, I'm really excited about that. And I believe that Angular Material will benefit a lot of leveraging MDC Web. In one of your talks, you mentioned a thing called a material interactive patterns. Can you extend this topic a little and share your thoughts on that? So when talking about interaction patterns, the thing I always come to is that it's really important for anybody who's working in the front end space to have a good understanding of the interaction patterns defined by the WAI ARIA specification. So things like list box, combo box, dialogue, and so on. Those are the building blocks of the web for building both accessible experiences and just generally consistent experiences that people know how to use. I have actually done a little bit of work on trying to create a, a course based on this as well inside of Google. That it's a 20% project I've been working on. But the idea is we've had these standard interaction patterns in computing going all the way back to the Xerox Park days of menus and buttons and sliders and all of that, right? It's been 30, 40 years of human-computer interface. And people have kind of internalized in our collective consciousness these interaction patterns. And so assistive technology like screen readers has also evolved with those interfaces over time to define a de facto set of these are the ways you interact with software. And this is something I've actually figured out over the years. When we first started Angular Material, I wasn't thinking about it this way. But this is kind of the idea behind the CDK of we want to be able to give you the raw interaction patterns and then let Angular Material just be the particular visual appearance on top of that. And I think it's important to be able to decouple in your mind that visual appearance from the underlying interaction pattern, especially because you can have multiple different visual flavors of an interaction that are all basically the same behaviors. So for example, it might surprise people to find that the interaction of having a text input that turns into chips as you write, such as uh, compose or as your um, your to field in Gmail, you can implement that as a role equals grid interaction pattern, where you would normally think of a grid as like a data table, but there is a way, and we have this in our um, MDC components, is a version of chips that follows that pattern, which 
work surprisingly well for screen reader users compared to the other interaction patterns that one could apply for that interaction. Similarly, like list box is one where, sure, you could imagine just a vertical list of items and you can select them on and off. But again, chips is an example of something that could be uh, using the list box pattern, but doesn't actually look like what you would imagine a list box to look like. Mm-hmm. Right. Do you have this number in your head? Like how many actually Angular material components there are today? There are 35 Angular material components, uh-huh. if you count all of them, even the really simple ones. <laughs> right. Angular material uh, follows a Google design specification that introduces some sort of boundaries that limits the level of Angular material customization from a developer mm-hmm. perspective. So currently, you're able to customize things like typography and some other variables like colors. However, say you have this contradicted designer request that didn't line up with Angular Material specification. So officially, the only supported way of customizing the component styles is through our theming API, where we provide a number of SAS mixins for customizing all of the components. And with Angular version 12, we actually have a whole new theming API surface. It is all the same APIs, but we have renamed them and made a single entry point for them that is designed for ergonomic use with the new SAS module system and rewritten all the documentation for them. So with version 12, the consumption of those APIs is going to be a little bit nicer, but they are very limited. It lets you customize the color and typography of the components. For the MDC components that we're working on but are not yet stable, they will also have density as something that you Mm -hmm. can customize. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, there isn't an official way of customizing different component styles. We generally don't want people writing CSS overrides because those overrides always end up being pretty brittle and... When we change the component structure or change some styles between releases, we consider those things to be internal implementation details, DOM structure and whatnot. And so they could break at any time. That said, I know from experience, having you know worked on products myself, that your designer hands you a mock and maybe you're not in a position to push back and say, no, we can't do this because the standard UI components don't support it. You just kind of like, well, I guess I have no choice but to do a CSS override. And you just kind of do it and you don't feel great about it, but it looks right and you go on with your day. This happened to me multiple times. (laughs) (laughs) And it's really, it's inevitable, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that if we had tried to prevent people from doing that with something more prohibitive, then people would have just done it anyway in a more hacky way. So for example, we we turn off view encapsulation for all of the Angular material components in Angular. And we do that because we know that people are going to override the styles anyway, no matter what we do. And so we might as well not make them jump through extra hoops to do it anyway. Now, I know this is kind of a like a philosophical thing, right? You You have Shadow Dom, as a technology that exists, 
that is much harder about you cannot override anything. But I think that doing that really just denies the fundamental reality that it's impossible to build a UI component that will work for everyone all mm-hmm. of the time. And sometimes you really have no choice but to get in there and do a little override. And again, you don't feel good about it, but you get the job done at the end of the day. Do you have any guidelines or tips how to process with all these edge cases? What is the best way to cross Angular material boundaries? So we actually have a guide for that in our documentation. Uh-huh. Yep. Um, I should just pull it up and read it. <laughs> <laughs> There's a guide on our website called Customizing Component Styles. And it goes through the different ways you can approach this and talks a little bit about their trade-offs. And so... Speaking about Angular Material, what are the top feature requests there? What people want? Right. The top feature requests we have are number one, a time picker, which is complicated. Mm-hmm. We have a ton of requests for supporting two-dimensional drag and drop with CDK drag and drop. We have a lot of requests for incorporating virtual scroll into the existing components, particularly the table component. And I think range slider is another one that is pretty high up there. So on that front, And the one piece of good news I have is that range slider is basically done in the MDC version of the slider. Um, we were able to take advantage of the work that the material engineering team had done in building a range slider on their side. And as we built our MDC version, we were able to just say, oh, look, they support ranges. So now we can too. So that was a nice win from that. For the rest of them, uh, the virtual scroll, we actually have a another Googler who's not on the Angular team, but is using some of their 20% project time to work on virtual scroll in the table. And it's actually pretty far along. The thing that's been holding it up is we are just trying to figure out some last frame rate issues with it. It is not quite up to being able to scroll at 60 frames per second, which is what we would want. And so still kind of figuring that one out. And of course, because it's a 20% project, it's uh, something that can get put on the side when your main job <laughs> takes over. Um, on the time picker, we have really no plans to work on that at this time because it is really complicated for us to work on. There's no good spec for it that we could follow. The material design spec does have a time picking spec, but it is a mobile time picker. You've probably seen it on Android. It is an actual circular clock where you mm-hmm. yep. drag or tap yep. the second hand and the, or not the second hand, the hour hand and the minute hand. And that is a really awkward interaction for desktop. And we are, aren't really interested in building something that is that mobile specific. And then on top of that, Time Picker is a control where a lot of different teams have different needs. So for example, if you are Google Cloud Platform, you might want your Time Picker to go down to microsecond level granularity. Whereas if you are a hotel booking product, you really only care about hours or minutes. And it's challenging to build something that works for a wide audience 
And so uh, it's, and then there's also the challenges of just the internationalization in the first place and doing the daytime parsing and formatting. And because of all of that complexity compared to a lot of the other priorities we have in our backlog, it's not something I see us working on anytime in the near future. Uh, and then I think the last one I mentioned is uh, CDK drag drop. That one, I'm not sure. It's it's feasible that we could work on it in the not too distant future, but it's not currently like near the top of our roadmap. Um, going uh, forward, like say in a couple of years time, I don't know if you guys at Google have think about it, like how you see the project will evolve. Uh, like, do you have a vision like where it all goes with Angular Material? Right. So the biggest thing that we're working on now that we've already talked about is incorporating MDC into our components. Mm-hmm. And so as we look into you know some number of years in the future, that project will be done and we'll be much better positioned to be staying up to date with the material design specification as it evolves. Uh, the material design specification is always evolving and always changing. The designers are always working on new ideas. And so as that evolves, we'll be able to keep up with it and also build any new controls that come out as part of that specification. And again, this is an area where we're going to benefit from this work on MDC because as the material engineering team builds new components that might come into the spec in the future, we'll be able to take the work that they've done and incorporate it into an Angular version for much less work than building it ourselves. And personally, I really want to invest more in expanding the CDK. I think that it's a little unfortunate that when we first started off, we were very much focused Mm -hmm. on building material design components first and foremost because we were trying to unblock people from adopting Angular at that time, right? Because Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Angular version 2.0.0 came out in the beginning of 2016, or near, near the beginning of 2016. And we weren't really able to get going at full steam on Angular Material until Angular was stable. So yeah. Yeah. I remember uh, there that. Was a, there was a bit of a gap between Angular becoming stable and us being able to offer material design components. And at least inside of Google, uh, it was a blocker for a lot of teams to adopt Angular for the components to be ready. And so we were kind of rushing to get those ready. And we, didn't come to doing a lot of the work in the CDK until later on. And that means for components like like menu and select, right? We just built the material components directly without putting the foundations for them in the CDK. And so looking forward, I want to extract those foundations into the CDK and expand that more. We actually had some interns last summer, really talented interns that built some new CDK features in our experimental package. It's Angular CDK Experimental. And there is a really rich menu set, uh, menu sub package there that supports menu bars and nested menus and menu aim, which is where if your cursor moves, over or out of uh, your menu item while you're moving towards an item in a nested menu, 
it doesn't close because it can pick up on the fact that you're moving towards the submenu. And it also supports context menu. So really compre- com- comprehensive stuff. And we haven't moved that into stable yet because there's a couple of features that I want to land in Angular Framework first that will make the APIs just better. Right now, the APIs are kind of clunky in a way that I don't really like. And there's a couple of enhancements we could make to the framework that would make those APIs a lot nicer to use. Um, and then similarly, uh, on the other intern project was working on a list box and combo box subpackages for CDK Experimental. And those similarly are really nice and let you build your own custom components of those things. But similarly, we're waiting for a time when we can do some work on the framework to make them easier to use. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I know there is lots of teams there who probably want to build their own components library for a reason. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they want even to go a bit more further and build their own design system. So what would be your recommendation for those teams who want to go this route? Right. So I think that this goes back to what we were talking about earlier about interaction patterns. So when you are approaching your design system, I think the easiest trap to fall into is focusing on just how things look. And it's a very alluring trap because that's the first thing everybody sees. It's easy to show your PMs and managers and directors and what have you of like, look, look at this beautiful thing I made. And when you do that, you lose sight of the actual interaction that is happening between the user and the software. And I think that the most important thing to do is start with the interaction patterns that you are going to be using in your design system and then move to visuals from there. Mm -hmm. And for people who are building with Angular, hopefully the CDK serves as uh, a helpful tool in the implementation of a custom design system so that you don't have to reinvent the wheel for parts of whatever you're building, especially for things like overlays and accessibility that we have kind of settled in there. It seems like if you decide to build your own uh, design system, there's lots of work. I mean, it really just, it depends on your situation. If you're Mm -hmm. at a company or a startup or you're just building a side project, you have to decide how much value you're getting out of having your own look and feel in that way, Mm -hmm. right? If you work at a really large institution that has plenty of budget for designers and infrastructure teams to build these things, then, you know, maybe it's worth it to you to build that and have your own branding and have your own distinct look and feel. If you're working on a side project and you just want to get something out the door quickly, then take Mm -hmm. something off the shelf and run with that. It's really about just deciding how much value are you getting from mm-hmm. something off the shelf versus something custom made. Right. Do you have any recommendations uh, for developers who just discovered Angular material and decided to use it in their projects? So one thing I would probably recommend is actually just looking at the source code for Angular material and Angular CDK. I am generally very proud of the work that we've done in making our code 
clean and readable and serving as a good example of building stuff with Angular. That's not to say we haven't made any mistakes. We certainly made some mistakes along the, the way as we, we learned Angular ourselves and learned TypeScript ourselves. So um, there's also places where TypeScript evolved a lot since when we first started. And so there's some old crufty stuff in there back from the early days of TypeScript. But for the most part, I think the code is good if you are looking at building your own custom components and you want just to see some examples. Uh, it's a good reference. And in terms of using the components, I don't actually know that I have really any advice about them. I, I want to think that they are mostly intuitive to use or that our documentation does a good job explaining them. But it's hard for me to step outside of the mind space of someone who's working on them as a, going into someone who's using them. Uh, but I do have... Uh, if you want to talk about like general component authoring tips that mm -hmm. uh, can come from some of the mistakes we've learned, <laughs> mistakes we've made over the years and lessons we've learned from that. And so what was those mistakes? Yeah, so one of the mistakes we made uh, was trying to make APIs that worked the same way they did in AngularJS. And in doing so, doing some suboptimal implementation decisions. So a good example is there are places where we, in the component template, will take uh, ng content for projected content and put that inside of an ng template so that we have control over when we render it out, right? We want to conditionally render something like a tab, right? We, we only want to render the selected tab. And so we're applying some logic to conditionally render it. But we didn't want people to have to put an ng template as a user because that felt like an implementation detail. But that was probably the thing we should have done because the consequence now of going the route we did is that the mat tab element is not a real DOM element. If you put attributes or classes on it, those things just disappear into the ether and we are just grabbing the contents of that tab and stamping them out ourselves. And it also leads to what I will call like a phantom component instance that's just kind of like floating out there in the ether. So uh, this is something that I think is easy to... to fall victim to is when you have a component, say you have a tab or a card or something, and you put content inside of that component, that content is always initialized by Angular, even if it's not rendered anywhere. So even if you don't put an ng content in your components template so that your content's not rendered, it actually still gets initialized and uh, you know, DOM subtree will be created for it and it will just kind of hang out there in memory and not doing anything. And you generally want to avoid that. And so anytime you are building a component that is going to conditionally render some content, you would want to use an API that uses ng-template and not use ng-content for that. So that was one of the mistakes I think we made early on. And I think another mistake we made early on was for a lot of components thinking that there was one right way to do things in terms of accessibility, 
when the reality is a lot fuzzier, we have run into situations with the components where you discover a bug with say Chrome plus NVDA, but in order to fix that bug, you would break voiceover in Safari and the two are mutually exclusive. And I think that over time we have come to learn that the, the components themselves don't necessarily always need to be opinionated about what is the one correct way of doing something and instead can kind of leave it open to the end user to decide what's best for their application. And our responsibility then comes in documenting what the different choices are and what the trade-offs of those choices are. Oh, Jeremy, thank you for sharing so many cool insights about Angular Material. But I believe there's people out there who probably want to help to make Angular Material better. So what is the best way to contribute into Angular Material? If you're just starting to contribute and you want to take on an easy issue or just get used to the flow, we have a number of GitHub issues that are tagged as good first issue. We have a number of issues that are tagged as help wanted, as things that someone from the community could just pick up and start looking into. If you are someone who wants to contribute something larger, like a whole component, that is something that requires a discussion first. So if you want to, say, build a time picker component, that is a bit more complicated and there's a chance we would decline having something like that if it's not something we think that we have the resources to maintain and support in the immediate future. But you can always start a discussion by opening a GitHub issue and we triage those issues weekly so that when we see discussions, we can chime in and talk about it a bit. But yeah, uh, helping with bugs is always super useful and uh, unfortunately not very glamorous. So and how people can reach you out on, like on social media, on Twitter? I am always happy to answer questions on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Jelborn, J-E-L-B-O-U-R-N. And the, there's only two types of questions that I won't answer. <laughs> that, and if you, if you DM me, or try to ask me these questions, I'm just, I won't answer. Uh, one is, can you help me debug my app? Uh, <laughs> uh, unfortunately, I just don't have the time to sit down with people and help debug your app. And the other is, when is feature X going to be coming out? Uh, because we don't know ourselves. We, we do our best, but the, the nature of software and a lot of the stuff we're doing is we don't, necessarily know the unknowns we're going to run into as we are working on stuff. So aside from those two categories of questions, I'm happy to always answer anything about Angular or Angular components or anything. Right. And so, yeah, I think uh, it seems like we covered everything for today's show. I put all the links in the show notes that related to this episode, as well as Jeremy's Twitter handle, so you can follow him and ask questions. And remember, ask only the right questions. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you, Jeremy, for being with us today. Yeah, it was my pleasure. I'm Alexey Kuncevich, and this is Angular Rocks. Thank you for listening. <laughs>